ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Welcome to the Soulful MBA Podcast, episode 82, May. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery, as well as our special guest for today, May Krawalski. May is the founder of Obviously, which is a tech startup that matches brands with social media influencers. After working in social media management out of college, May had a hunch that influencer marketing was coming, and she had an idea to build a different kind of business, one that pairs an agency with a tech platform. May has since gathered a team of experts to help turn her vision into a reality. And in the process, she's not only built a team around the world, but she's also built a client roster of some of the world's most iconic brands. We loved interviewing May. She's a fellow bootstrapped female founder, which is rare and hard to come by. And her story is not only incredibly inspiring, it also shares a whole bunch of lessons that are useful for anyone starting out in business such as why innovation requires thinking outside of the box and why listening to your customers is such a powerful strategy for getting an edge on the competition. So without further ado, here is our conversation with May. Welcome, May, to our show. Thank you so much for having me. We are super excited. Jenny and I are extra excited about you because you are a woman, a woman in technology. And there are not many of us, and there are not many of us who are bootstrapping our software companies. So we were very excited when we learned of you and instantly reached out to connect. So we've got lots and lots of questions for you. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. It's a it's a small group, but it, it needs to get bigger. Very small. Very small. Yes. So first of all, your company is obviously, and you are you're in the space of influencer marketing. I know that that's not where you started. And if you could just tell us the story of going from your initial job, which was in social media, into starting a software company. There's a, a, a lot going on there. Yeah, there there is a lot. So I was working in social media, you know, right from the get-go out of college. I mean, and then that was so new too. Even when the for my first day of college I signed up for Facebook. It was like right when they let <laughs> they let my college, University of Chapel Hill, like <laughs> onto Facebook. So that's how that's how new it was. And I was doing social media management. I was at a large agency. I managed the Facebook pages of the Real Housewives, which was actually you know, a quite easy job. You'd just be like, oh, you know, wasn't the drama today crazy? You know, and then you'd get, you know, yeah. approximately 100,000 comments. <laughs> so that was great. <laughs> um, and then from, from there, I went to Guilt Group and I was running social media there. And Guilt was just a really dynamic place with, you know, such great talent. And so many people were were leaving, were starting their own companies. There was just it was a real hotbed of of, of startup activity, you know. And, and that was pretty unique in New York at at that time. It was it seemed like most everything was happening out of San Francisco. 
So a lot of my friends were leaving the company, having me do social media strategy for them on their new startup or on their new venture. And I was like, wow, this is, this is really cool. This is a part of the, the, the business that I, you know, the top 30% of my job currently. And if I can just keep doing this, I'm all about it. And then around the same time, someone from the, the IT security department contacted me and said, you know, hey, we think there's some fraud. You know, this one woman has just made $60,000 in referral credit on the site. Can you check it out? It was via social. And so I checked it out and it was very much legitimate. You know, she had a really active fan base. She was um, in college at Southern Methodist University. And anytime she posted about, you know, different clothing that she liked, uh, people were, were, were clicking through and buying. And so I was like, wow, actually she is, you know, something, so there's something here. There, there's more to social than just brands, you know, actively and obsessively curating their own social media accounts or really focusing on their paid acquisition strategy there's something here where we can use people who've already built their own audiences and get products in front of them and really build brand collaborations. So I, at the same time, I had a blog called Obviously Social, and that was just really fun. And I would kind of write my notes about, you know, what's happening in social and what's going on. So I started the company under Obviously Social, primarily doing social media management. And I was really starting to build out an agency similar, you know, a micro version of the one where I was working at when I was doing the Real Housewives <laughs> Facebook work. And I was like, I really don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to build, I don't want to build a traditional agency. I really need to find a way to create a product and, and build a company around a product that scales. And yeah, so then I was doing more and more with influencers. You know, we brought on some really big brands that were willing to try things out before anyone. Uh, Uniqlo has been, has been a great client and they really let us try out a lot with working with influencers at scale as we really built out our product. So what obviously does now is it's a tech platform and we have a full service agency that sits above it. So we can do everything end to end for our clients from identifying the right influencers to doing all the outreach to, we actually have warehouses and we will ship all the product to the influencers on the brand's behalf. Uh, and then we handle all reporting and, and capture all performance data and organize all the influencers into a CRM that the brands can access at any time. And so, yeah, we really went from being a social media management shop that was, you know, telling brands how to grow their Twitter, their Twitter presence to being a, um, a company now that is very much uh, tech product first. Uh, you know, we have over 25 employees. We're in, we have five offices and three continents and working with some of the largest brands. So it's been a really cool, really cool you know, you know, trajectory of growth. So I want to learn more about how you began to integrate tech into what you were doing as you realized you wanted to shift outside of the agency model. So not coming from that background as a developer, how did you go about finding a co-founder? How did you, how do you go about sort of managing that side of the company when that's not your area of expertise primarily? Right. So it was really important to me to be in sort of the startup scene. I was trying to, I would go to a lot of meetups. I had you know, several like very small failed attempts at like, one was a newsletter, actually, which is the tech we use now, which is part of our, our company, but it was just a very tiny part where we would send an email to a brand manager telling them who are the most influential people who followed your brand account today, who are the ones you should follow back, um, who mentioned you but didn't follow you. We were trying to charge $10 a month and people were like, no, I don't, I don't want to pay for that. We're like, okay, cool. <laughs> um, let's figure out the next thing. <laughs> and uh, the 
the process of finding a technical co-founder actually was, was very organic for, for me. I had been working, I was kind of had a reputation of, Hey, let, let's, let's brainstorm. Let's, let's see what we can do. I was always up for a coffee with, you know, with anyone who wanted to talk about social for their business. And it would just, I wanted to kind of, you know, make it apparent to people that I was really looking to, to find, um, to find someone to partner with and, you know, test out projects. I never really came at anyone with a big commitment right up front. Like, oh, let's do a, you know, it was always, let's date first. Let, let's try some, some projects. Let's see how they go. And I was working with one friend and he's like, oh, you know, actually, I, for whatever reason, he didn't want to do the project anymore. But he's like, I have a co-founder for my last company and maybe you guys would, would work well together. And so that was, that was Max and, and he's my, my CTO and, and current co-founder. And he lived in San Francisco the whole time that we started working together, and he still does. So we we work bicoastally, and it actually works out really well. We, you know, we communicate very well together. You know, just very clear, very concise. He's French, which which helps. We just like get down to get down to business always. <laughs> and yeah, it's just it's been a really great working relationship. I think I also come at it from I'm, I'm a very like ideas person and like really like abstract concepts. So it was easier for me to say. Oh, I know that this roughly is possible. Can you tell me the different options and ways in ways we can go? And then I was also handling all sales and all client relations, so I could really, you know, parse every client meeting. Like, what were they really excited about? What were they not so excited about? What's holding them up from from signing with us? If we tweaked our product or if we added one more feature, would this make a difference? And then I was, I was compiling those things. I was able to really build out the product roadmap. And then he and I would work through it together. How do we really get a, a product that, that we can sell against and then make it make it better and better? Um, so it's very iterative. I mean, even now, you know, a lot of our time is spent figuring out, you know, what do we do next with the product? What do our clients really want? You know, how do we get them to, you know, buy more of our services and our tools? It's, it's always, you know, a lot of listening and, and a lot of whiteboarding. And did you ever consider taking investment? So I did. At the, at the very beginning, it was almost... I, I like to think of myself as an underdog. I think that that like helps me kind of just like always like do the best job and just like keeps me motivated. And when I started the social media management company, I was talking to friends who were in venture capital and they were like, no, this doesn't make any sense for you to raise money. Like you can't raise money. And then even, you know, people that I worked with at Guild, you know, the, the CEO, the chairman, they'd be like, no, May, like you, you don't, this, this model doesn't make any sense for you. And I was hearing like, oh, they don't think that I can do it. And so, which was not actually the case. They were giving me really good advice, but it really motivated me to be like, oh, I'm going to figure out a way to buy, to, to build this without, without venture money. And then I was, I was talking to more and more um, friends who had startups who were going through the process of raising seed rounds, series A. I really started to have some pretty frank conversations with people where I realized like, wow, you know, the, the things you see in TechCrunch is very one-sided. You know, the things that you see in VentureBeat is we, we're a culture of really celebrating raising money, but there are a lot of stories of people who, you know, end up being between a rock and a hard place after that initial round runs out or they don't hit their projections in a given time frame. And so I was like, oh, wow, like it'd be really cool if we could pull this out off without doing that. And then that became part of my goal as well. And now I'm, I mean, I actually have other, you know, other, other people who are CEOs of startups coming up to me hearing that we haven't raised and are just like floored and are like, wow, congrats like that. That's so awesome. <laughs> and, and that's really refreshing. And no one was saying that to me in the beginning. They're like, oh, you just, you probably, you probably can't raise, you probably can't, can't do this. <laughs> and we have our own we have our own story about this as well yeah. <laughs> sort of like going through an accelerator and then choosing not to 
raise our round. Like we sort of had soft circled and walked away, partly because of the constraints that happen if you fail after your round, right? Like you can't, like it's, it's an endless process of like every 18 months. And it's for me, the hardest part. And I don't know if you relate, like the hardest part wasn't about like, do you have a good business model? Are you bringing in revenue? Like it was all about growing in other ways that kept us away from serving our users. And so it just wasn't, our interests weren't aligned, like with our investors, it was like, wasn't a good match. Like we weren't ready to pivot into a new market just to get new users on our platform. We wanted to really serve the people we had built the platform for. That's actually very much my experience as well. I I knew the pitch that I needed to present to secure funding. And it wasn't the pitch that I wanted to give. It wasn't the pitch that the pitch was, oh, we need to be a completely self-serve platform. We have to remove all service. We can, we should have no, you know, any inkling of any agency type of service or, you know, we shouldn't have the full service agency sit on top of the platform at all. And, and I knew that if I said that, that we would secure money and a lot of our competitors went that route. But I also knew that I've talked to hundreds of potential clients by this point. No one has the ability to use a self-service version of this platform. Like they don't have the team. It's way too new. And if they do have the team, it's like one junior account manager who could not handle the amount of work needed or, and they don't have the experience. And so I think our ability to say, Hey, actually we do this all for you end to end. Like you want to work with a hundred influencers. We can have that happen within the month has been a huge differentiator. But if we had taken on money that, you know, our differentiator is completely gone. And, and I think also it really speaks to the fact that, you know, you talk about alignment, you know, we would have been given, you know, a, a growth projection that we had to hit that the market wasn't frankly ready for. You know, a number of our competitors were spending so much money just to hit these targets that were pretty arbitrarily spent uh, set up for them, but for their investors made a ton of sense. And so they didn't hit them and they're not raising more money and, but they're also not profitable. Whereas we're like, Hey, if we tweak this, if we change our offering, if we really, you know, double down on what makes us different, we, we can forgo that and we can really create our own you know, growth projection. And, and that's one that really is sustainable and makes sense. And yeah, you know, I think that especially in the like accelerator culture and, and really valid, everything's validation through uh, raising money. It's, it's kind of a false, a false running of the gauntlet in a lot of ways. It's like, oh, you know, you convinced this group of guys that, <laughs> that, yeah. like, that, that, that like you're worth it and that like you know it's like oh the team's great like we're really investing in the team like this is like x y and z and that that's awesome but if you don't need to have you know those bosses in the room and you don't need to check in on a monthly basis with them like think of all the other things you can be doing and so i think it's like super <laughs> super refreshing that, that you guys are on the same page a lot of people look at me and are like but like how does that work <laughs> like no, we des- we decided against it. In part, the big part of it was that Jenny's job would be raising money. Oh, I know, <laughs> raising money, and courting courting investors, and like w- going for coffee yeah, with like, men that- and, and people who wanted us to have like a physical location and all be together. And we're in different countries, and our team is all over the world, right? And we we're like, no, this is not. We don't want that kind of company. Like, I don't want to have to have a fax machine. I don't want these things. Like, I don't. Why do I need to buy rent office furniture? And it was like this sense, like, why would I do that? We don't need any of that. But it was like, well, this is what you do, and this is how you attract people, like the right people into your c- company. And I was like, what? Like, I'm pretty sure they really like working from home. So no. (laughs) So we we could do that or we could like focus on the business and make it profitable right from the start. Like put our brains on (laughs) the business and make it make money. 
Like that was a novel concept for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I was able, I was able to be the sole salesperson for, for two and a half years yeah. and still be able to scale the business in, in, in like a, you know, a pretty remarkable way because I wasn't, yeah, having to, you know, have coffee with, with everyone and, and put together all the pitch decks I, were, I was putting together were, you know, for <laughs> brands who were going to pay us. And so right. I think that like, that is just like a huge shift in the way that you think, but also it really kept us attuned to seeing like, oh, you know, Brands were really worried about X, Y, and Z, you know, three years ago. Now they're really worried about fake followers, or now they're wor- really worried about GDPR. Like, what are we doing? And so we can just react so much faster because we're not, you know, oh, we have to convince the board of this and we have to do that. And, you know, I guess on, on the flip side, I have had to spend a lot of time really cultivating advisors who, you know, are not, you know, don't own a large piece of the of our company and are not VCs. Uh, so that's, you know, that's definitely a different path, but. But it's been, you know, it, it's been not only nothing but worthwhile, but it's actually made the company, you know, so much stronger and so much more viable. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Can, can you just maybe expand on that so that you're talking about you've, you've created or put together a board of advisors? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it is small. So like that, my goal this year is to, to really grow it out. <laughs> grow it out. So yeah, we have, you know, three people that I really, um, I really bounce ideas off of. And then I do have a much more informal network of friends and mentors that, you know, I'll take out to coffee and, and, you know, just get, get their feedback. And, you know, they're pretty comfortable with, with how we work. They understand, you know, the unit economics of the business. And I can really talk about like, Hey, we're thinking about expanding more in Europe or like, you know, what have you done in that scenario? And it really helped me with the, the things that I, I don't know that much about. And so that's been really, that's been really refreshing as well. And I think that a lot of, you know, people that now I, who I talk to, who I get advice from are just, you know, are pretty impressed. Whereas before I was like, that's like, are you just not doing this because you can't raise money? And because like you did go to every VC and like it didn't work out. And I'm like, no, it's not true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I love that. And it's, it's, I think that's a huge part of why we invited you on me because we want these stories to be told that you there is another option. Uh, when we went through this, what was that, Jenny? Three years two, ago or two so? years ago? <laughs> two years, two years ago, and there was there was no option when we decided no to funding. It was like revolutionary that we were just going to try to bootstrap this company by ourselves. There was nobody to follow. I mean, Laura Roder is the only one we knew of who had a. Um, a tech company that didn't take funding but and she self she ex- self funded it too. She right? self funded. So she had some seed it. money to. Yeah, true. So I'm just I'm just really happy that there's another story to tell about a female who who had a vision, started a company, and was able to self fund basically by the, the the revenue that you brought in. So if someone is thinking about doing this, is there advice you could give to someone like? other than you can do it? Like, what is the smartest thing you could tell to someone who's considering bootstrapping? Yeah, so I think one thing that's really important to think about is, you know, you need to kind of back away from all the other assumptions of building the business. So, you know, for your example of, oh, we need we need a physical office. Like, you don't need a physical office right now. You know, you don't need a koi pond. You don't need X, Y, and Z. <laughs> you need to find really great people. And I think the, the unit economics really need to work. And so for me, my big sort of aha moment there was like, let's go after clients who have much larger budgets because the amount of work and like, you know, using the product when it costs $2,000 
is the same as when we have a contract for $50,000. And that for me was, was really big because when you're building a startup, you're surrounded by startup people, you're surrounded by people who are super scrappy who, you know, Hey, would you spend money on this? They're like, no, I, I got to save money. I, I have nothing. I'm trying to get this off the ground. I'm in an accelerator. But when you start saying like, okay, actually, if we're selling it for this price and we're providing a real value for companies that are much larger, wow, we can actually do a lot more with that. And so, you know, some of our competitors who raised quite a bit of money, they were looking for scale by, you know, putting their pricing at $100 a month or $300 a month, whereas we were like significantly higher, but we were building a product that was providing significantly more value for these large clients. And sometimes, you know, you get into the mind frame of like, oh, Spotify is $10, $10 a month. They need to work with a billion people to, to be profitable. Like, that's going to be really hard to bootstrap <laughs> unless you know you can mm-hmm. do this on a, with a one-person shop. So making sure that you're charging enough for what you're offering and that you're getting clients on for a long enough period of time. And also that there's enough demand currently for the thing that you are selling is it, it, is really important. And so that definitely changes it, you know, from the freemium model, like Dropbox, you know, you'd, I would never be able to do that. Like, right. I would close down in 30 days. So I think that that that's really important too to understand like the way you price and the way you build your team is it, it might be slower in a lot of ways, but you're also building it off of money that you are actually making. And so I think that that's definitely the most important thing, you know, so we, we hit a few snags where we just could not get people over spending, you know, a few thousand dollars a month. And we really had to go back and say, what are the things that we could be adding here so that they're, be, they're like to really unlock more value for them. And one thing was, and I was a little bit surprised, but they were like, you know, we were talking to a client and she was like, I am sitting amongst all of these boxes. I have makeup palettes, like all around my desk. I'm a marketing manager and I need to like now box, like write up thank you notes and send these out to influencers that we work with through you. If, if I didn't have to do that, if I had a clear desk, like that would mean a lot to me. And so we're like, oh, let's, you know, I didn't never thought we would open a warehouse, but you know, here we are. <laughs> and we actually found that not only are we providing a huge value, it was, it was a big differentiator when we would go and pitch and you would see that one person who definitely had, you know, a thousand boxes in and around their desk and in their hallway like, I don't have to deal with this anymore. Like, I don't have to tra- chase down tracking numbers when someone says something goes missing. And then actually, an additional benefit there was that we found that campaigns actually ran so much smoother, because we were in control of when products were sent, when they were received, and then also tracking people down to make sure that the influencers were posting when they said they would based on when they received the, the packaging. So we actually like made the product significantly better when we were just looking for ways to unlock more value for our customers. And maybe maybe that sounds it sounds kind of obvious to me now, but at the time I was like, oh my God, wow, this is a big insight. And none of our competitors were doing it. The whole, you know, everyone was like, the last mile is so difficult. It's so difficult to do anything transportation related. Like we can't handle logistics. It's a nightmare. But when we actually were like, hey, let's let's really take a look at this, it became a huge differentiator for us. And we were able to attract some very large brands because of it. I saw that on your website and it was like, I cannot believe she offers this service (laughs) because I used to have a a footwear store and I am very aware of like fulfillment and shipping and tracking and tape guns and oh my God, like it's just a nightmare. So my heart just went, oh, when I saw that, but I can totally appreciate on from the brand side, like just here's my hundred pieces you 
you know, you distribute it, you you take it from here. So that is that is amazing. I know it's been actually, it, that's been a really cool thing. <laughs> I like I like going to the warehouse, like the, the, the logistics <laughs> team is so cool. It's It's been it's been a really fun thing. We actually just upgraded. We got a much larger warehouse. And so we were like, you know, touring different spaces. I was just getting like, you know, streams of photos texted to me. I was like, wow, I didn't know this would be part of like, you know, being, being a business owner, but I like it. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy-to-use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. Do you just have one where, like, you have offices in how many different cities? Three? Um, so we're actually in five currently. So we're in, um, oh, five. in yeah, we need to update the website. <laughs> New York, San Francisco, LA, Paris, and Sydney. And so in um, the, out of the San Francisco, we, we have an office, we have a warehouse in the Bay Area. And then we have, um, and that really provides everything for the US and South America. And then in our, our Paris office handles all shipping for Europe. And then in Sydney, and we're handling all Australian shipments there. So, yeah, I got to say it's so impressive how how far and wide oh, you are. But let's let's uh, shift gears into the actual company and how it works, because I know that our audience is a lot of health and wellness. Mm-hmm. Can you just talk a little bit? So you've got basically have, have two stakeholders in your company. You have the brands who hire you to find you the influencers, and you have the influencers who come to you and say, "Hey, I'd love to, you know, be an influencer in whatever market." Yep. So from a brand side, first they come to you and they want to leverage social media and people with certain level of followings. I imagine. Can you just tell us what kind of companies you're working with? What are they looking for? And are there tr- new trends that you're seeing from what brands are asking for? Yeah. So we work with, you know, a huge range of companies from athletic sneaker wear companies to home printers, to makeup companies, to hair dye companies. I mean, it really runs the gamut. I think we probably the most companies like areas we work with would be beauty, fashion, and tech primarily. But we've, I mean, we're doing a lot right now with pets and pet food. We just we're doing a lot uh, with with uh, like some really cool tutoring and learning and education services. So it really does it really does run the gamut. The main thing is can we find people who are influential in that space? And and so we have a technology that, you know, a brand will come to us and say, "Hey, we want to work with mountain biking influencers. We want, you know, we want to primarily focus um, in Utah and we want influencers who live there whose audiences live there." So we would then come back, um, identify the right people for them, and then making sure that, you know the aesthetic is in line. That they're, we actually analyze all of their audience to see like, oh, you know, their audience really loves to to mountain bike as well. They're very engaged. They're the gender you're looking for. They're the, they're the right the right age group, the right interest. They live in the right place. They're real, and it's not fake engagement. <laughs> and you know, there's there's a lot of activity on, on their posts when they do post. Here are some great people for you to work with. So then we find them twice the number of influencers that they want to work with at a given time. So usually we're working at quite a quite a large scale. So you know, a typical campaign would have you know anywhere from fifty to to two hundred influencers at a given time. We have some clients who are working with thousands of influencers at a time. And we always show them twice the number of influencers that they actually want to work with. And all those influencers have said, 
um, have opted in and said, you know, if this brand chooses me, I'm, I'm really excited to work with them. I've read the creative brief. I love the product that they're going to give me and I'm ready to go. So then the brand goes into the platform, looks at all the influencers we've chosen for them, chooses the right people that, that they really like. And then we send them the products, making sure, you know, if they're, you know, they get the right color, they get the right model, all of that. And then we're just, you know, constantly talking to the influencers, making sure they don't have any questions about the content they're going to be creating. Um, if they need to, you know, use certain promo codes or links, we make sure that all happens. And then the brand is able to, through the dashboard, see all of the uh, analytics on all the content that's being created on their behalf. And then, you know, we're really focused too on, on brands building longer term relationships with the influencers who are really working well for them. And I think that is a differentiator too. The idea isn't, hey, this is kind of a cold transactional marketplace. You work with a brand once as an influencer, you never talk to the brand again. We really try to get brands to you know, create a core group of, of brand ambassadors and they continue to add to that group of people. So, you know, say, say they are a mountain biking company and then they're coming out with a new kids line. It's like, okay, great. Here are some of the moms you have been working with. Let's, you know, get that product in front of them and let's find more moms who are similar to them who are performing really well. And, and we do provide that strategic layer as well, which I think is, is really important in influencer marketing because it is so new. And also because the platforms are changing so much so quickly. So we can be like, oh, we can do a swipe up feature on Instagram or we can, you know, do, do X, Y, and Z and kind of always bubbling up new things for them, them to work on. Can I ask, just based on what you, what you just explained, are there ever instances where the brands are like, I don't want to have to pick the people? Like, can you just do everything? Can you guys pick the influencers? Can you manage all of that? Does yeah, that happen? Can- Okay. We can de- we can definitely do that. Yeah, I think it, it, it's and then we also have other brands who are, especially in fashion, extremely picky. You know, they almost view it as like a model casting call. And we're like it's we're like it's a little bit different. Like we want to make sure this is authentic. This does not look like a print ad or a billboard ad. Like we need to find people who are real, whose audiences are are excited that they're you know one of their favorite people to follow is collaborating with you. So yeah, it really runs the gamut from a brand being like tell us what to do, like, we'll sign off on it, and then make it happen and send me a report to other brands that are like, you know, really want to be in the weeds, want to meet with the influencers or do conference calls. Um, So we can, I think our ability to really customize based on the brands is is another thing that that they really appreciate, because, you know, we are working with some, some of the world's largest brands. So if they want to get on a conference call with some influencers, like, or they want to do a focus group with influencers to see what new colors they should roll out, you know, next spring's product line, we're like, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's make it happen. And whereas I think, you know, back to the, you know, the venture uh, comment earlier, I think that would be really hard to, to do in, in a, you know, a more systemized way. Mm-hmm. So are you seeing trends with, are, are more and more companies, brands coming to you and seeing the power? I mean, it, I think it started in like fashion and beauty on social. And so we're, like you mentioned pet foods, but are more companies going, oh my God, I have to get into this? And are they looking to you to like, how, how do I navigate these waters? Yes. I mean, we're working with, you know, smoothie companies, like to smoothie cafes to, I mean, we, you know, we have some really varied, interesting brands that we work with. You know, we're actually working with a standardized testing company right now. So there's, there's just some rollerblading company, like you know, a vintage clothing company that's like nationwide. Um, a steakhouse, like <laughs> there, there are some like I mean, it, it, it really our warehouse is a pretty cool place to go. You're like, what? Is that? Like birdcage? <laughs> like what are we doing over here? And so, and you know, and to, to your to your question of uh, like, what are some of the new things brands are doing? 
doing. Uh, a lot of brands are really getting into this idea of building like a core group of brand ambassadors who are influencers. So, you know, they maybe they have one celebrity that they work with and then they have like a real influencer squad that they tap into frequently that they really cater to and that we grow and, and build that group based on, you know, the new products that they're, that they're talking about or um, what types of influencers are really performing best for them. And that's even going a few steps further with some really innovative brands where they're actually looking internally and they're like, wow, you know, we're a company of, you know, 20,000 people. We have some people who are influencers here in the beauty space. Like, why don't we just, you know, get, get our employees, you know, and onto the platform as well and see if they want to talk about any of these things that we put out into creative briefs and and track what they're doing and give them products and give them bonuses and give them perks and really tap into almost like employee advocacy but in the way that you would work with influencers and so we're able to do that you know with with thousands of people at a time and so we've really been able to unlock um, a, a ton of value there and now we're like powering you know the, their influencers are creating so much content that it powers, you know, all of their social channels and all of their social ads. And, you know, they're on billboards, they're in commercials. Like it, it's really cool to be watching TV and be like, Oh my God, we work with that guy. Like that's totally like they, they pulled that content from, from our influencers. Um, so yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's getting really cool. I want to know about podcasts. So this is a, obviously a big trend, our podcasts, and then there's podcast spon- podcasts. People are doing podcast sponsorships. Do you ha- ever have brands saying, I want to be on a podcast to put my, like, find me the podcasters that can make me famous? Or is it just social platforms? I'm really interested in podcasts. And so I, I'm trying to push our brands to do more and more there. And I think that there's just such an opportunity. I mean, just... Think of the conversations you have now. You guys own, Mm -hmm. you guys have your own podcast. So I'm sure you're talking about podcasts you like all the time. But that's a conversation that I have with my friends, you know, every time I see them. Like, hey, what what are you listening to now? What are you really excited about? Which is just not even, you know, in the vernacular, like, at all, even a few years ago, I feel like people just were not listening half as much as they are. And and there is a real opportunity. I actually have a, a good two good friends who we're social media managers in in New York. And I thought they had a, I thought it was a pretty small podcast, but I really liked it. Um, it's called Do You Follow? And so I was like, oh, hey, can I put an ad on it? I'd love to just see like, you know, I'd love to support you guys. It was more about like, just, I think I was gonna be one of the first brands that actually, that actually was on. <laughs> yeah. Test and I was like, oh, this is cool. I can support you and just, just see what happens. I got, you know, a good 15 leads from that one um, and I, I really thought they had only reached you know, a few hundred people. Uh, so I was like, wow, actually this, there's a lot here. And and you see some of the big brands who are, you know, ZipRecruiter, Harry's, some like the really big guys are like, wow, they're, you know, they're spending a lot and it, it must really be converting well for them. Um, so I would, I would love to do a lot more with, with podcasts. Yeah. We should, we should talk more about it. <laughs> like what, what you yeah, have, we, 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 have we have a lot I, to say yeah. about this, but I'm going to say this to the brands out there that I think when I listen to an ad in my ear, I am so influenced by that. And by listening to the podcast hosts talk about their use and the, I remember the podcast ads way more than something that flips by on, on Instagram. So I think that, I think it's an untapped area. The potential I think is just huge. Yeah, the level so. of intimacy with auditory learning too, like there's all this evidence that that has, that creates greater intimacy than visual exposure. Like there's so much there that I think, it, and it's like so new, like relatively uncharted territory. It's going to be exciting to see what happens in this space. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I just love, I don't know when it happened and probably was just born out of, you know, not having other people be able to read the copy, but 
I just think the decision and the the format of having the the host read the ads is so smart. Mm-hmm, you know, that's exactly. just like, that is such an untapped yep. opportunity. You're just like, oh, cool, because they always add their own personality, and you're like psyched to hear like like you guys with like Audible, like oh wow, I get to hear what mm-hmm, books they're mm-hmm, reading, like mm-hmm. and listening to, like that. Yeah, that actually is huge. Yeah, yeah, it makes a difference, a different yeah, level. And it adds that yeah. authenticity that that we really strive for with you know with influencers and the influencer marketing that we're doing. So let's talk about the influencers now. So you're so as a person with an Instagram an ac- account, and I've got my following and my people. And if I chose to be an influencer, I wanted to try to be, what would I do? So if you wanted to work with us, you would go to with you. Yeah, of course, you, with you. You would go to uh, obvious obvious ly and then sign on as an as an influencer. Um, go through the process of signing up. And then we would um, ask you some questions about things that you're interested in. And we'd also take a look at all the content that you're, you're creating on your social channels. And then we would, you know, build a profile for you. And then we would start sending you opportunities from brands we think you'd be a good fit for. And then, you know, our, our big thing is it needs to be 100% authentic. So if you're sort of on the fence or you're like, that's kind of cool, but I don't really like, I don't like that brand that much. We're always like, do not say yes. Like we have a lot of people to talk to. Like we want to make sure that we're only working with influencers who are so excited about working with this particular brand. And then so that that will email you and then you'll kind of log in, look at the creative brief, look at the different products or payment that that you would be receiving if you participated. You could, you know, chat with someone on our team, making sure that it's a good fit for you. Then you'd sign on. Um, and then, you know, within a few days, we tell you if you were selected by the brand. And if you are, we'll, we'll give you a tracking number for when to accept, expect the product or the payment. And uh, we'll kick off the, the timeline for you to start like, creating content um, on and then if, you know, if you do a really good job, if you really like the brand, if you want to keep working with them, we will um, update that into your profile and the brand will be able to see it. And then we'll be able to, you know, keep getting great things with that with them. And if you're like, hey, that was cool, but it, like, I don't want to do it again, then um, we'll, you know, we'll just get you more and more different different brands to work with. I think I, I went through this process went to do the research for this podcast and it's so easy. And so your, your oh, nice. software is really, really well done and really intuitive, very clear. And there's no like there's very low barrier to entry. All I have to do is sort of fill out a you know like you said like put my Instagram handle in there and my what my interests are and so on, and then I'm listed in your database. So you basically play matchmaker, and it's it's just a really smart business model. And then I could see all the things like Ana Luisa earrings and stuff. Right. I'm like, oh wow, I want to do that. So anyway, for our listeners, that's all you have to do, and it, it's it's really cool. Now tell us. People are going to say, well, I don't have very big following. Is there a minimum number before you should even apply or enter your information in your site? So you can you can apply as uh, with as little as uh, 2,000 followers for our platform. And some people are kind of shocked that it is so low. But, you know, we have some we, – we do some very micro-influence, like, like extremely micro-campaigns with influencers who are, you know – we did one with this uh, really cool whiskey brand that wanted – cabinet makers and leather workers that lived in New England who were like good on on camera like like in the video format and so we're like okay cool like we have a few people they have around 3000 followers but they have you know 20 25% engagement and people are obsessed with them and they're perfect so so we like to cast a wide net you know so if if you have a few thousand followers you you're definitely not going to get as many opportunities to work with brands as you know say if you were had had 25000 followers but i think people are really surprised to see just you know just how, how small a niche we, we go. Um, I think that that's a big part of our, our proposition to brands too, is like, yeah, you know, you could work with a Kim Kardashian and you could spend, you know, um, several hundred thousand dollars for one post, or you could work with, 
you know, 2000 very small influencers who have very high engagement and kind of like reach and actually get engagement from the same number of people. And so, and, and it's also going to cost so much less because you're not spending, you know, what is she at? Like, you know, 400 grand now per post. Yeah, you know, you're not you're like just like the it's so much more cost efficient. But also, you're you're now just building a really loyal group of, of influencers who are excited to to try out your product and talk about it. Um, so it you know it really makes a lot of sense from the brand when they look at it, the scale, the engagement, and the cost efficiency. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, well, we are going to run you through the Proust questionnaire okay. now. So I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're just going to give me the first answer that pops into your head. What is your idea of perfect happiness? Perfect happiness is the ability to be challenged every day in the way that I want to be. What is your greatest fear? Being bored. Which living person do you most admire? Maybe not the most ever. Well, I, I don't want to caveat it. Anyway, I really love Mindy Kaling right now. I ran into her on the street and I was like, you know, you work so hard and this is all coming up right for you and like you're the best. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> what is your greatest extravagance? I sometimes buy makeup that were that like from brands that we work with and I really don't wear that much makeup at all. <laughs> <laughs> Which words or phrases do you most overuse? Obviously, it's something I say a billion times a day. What do you consider your greatest achievement? Building building this company is, has definitely been my, my greatest achievement. Where would you most like to live? Uh, I mean, I really love New York. I'm pretty happy right here. I could have a few like pied de terres in, in like you know, in Paris and yeah. In would, Paris, would yeah. Be great. What is your most treasured possession? My laptop. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. <laughs> That's great. Thank you, May. Yeah, thanks so much. I would say the same thing. Other than yeah, my child. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to go ahead and dive into the joy and hustle. And so if you could share a resource that helps our audience hustle in their business and also something that brings you joy. So for the hustle, I have gone all in on Trello and I just use it so much. And I'm like, I'm not the most organized person. I think, you know, my team would definitely say that as well. And it's hard for me to use like very heavy organization systems, but it's just the right amount of like, this is easy. It's like, I can, I can handle this and I actually do it. So I think that's an amazing product. We are with you. We use it all day, every day. Trello. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's the best. I mean, it is the best. The satisfaction of dragging, dragging things over. And just archiving. I know Uh it's the best. And I've tried so many different organization systems. So that's, that comes tested. Okay. And something that brings you joy, like it can be a candle or a book or a TV show or a home use product, <laughs> like, anything, anything. That, that other people can also indulge in. I want to say that it's a little bit different than that. But the thing that I've really been doing instead of taking like really long vacations or like recharging is I will take a half day on Friday. And that has actually been, it's like my mini three day weekend. And it's actually been like a really big game changer for me. I can just having like those few extra hours to really have a weekend and unplug has been huge just for like my productivity and my mindset and my ability to just get out of my head and like not think about the company 24 seven. So it's a little bit different, but I think that it actually has been something where it's like, you don't need to work like 24 hours every day. Like you're just going to hit a point where it's like, it's such diminishing returns. So I would, you know, for anyone out there who has a business or wants to start one, like, you know, maybe just like call it quits early on a Friday and, and it's really been a game changer for me. That's perfect. We all need to hear that. I think. 
Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, May, for joining us. And where can folks learn about you online? Um, so you can you can go to obvious.ly. Um, that's my website. And then also you can follow me on Instagram at Maywow, M-A-E-W-O-W, or Twitter. It's the same handle. Wonderful. We will include links to all of those places in the show notes as well. Great. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, May. Thank you. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to, wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free.